Um, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Anti-Tech Cast. Uh, I'm Ryan. And I'm Griffin. And with us today is West Northwest, an anti-tech philosopher. And I'd like to begin uh, today. How are you doing today, West? <laughs> Start with that. I'm doing great. How are you all doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We're doing well. Um, we're, I, we're, uh, we're talking to you uh, today a lot because uh, you sent a paper to us uh, entitled uh, The Conservation of Man and Wild Nature in Light of 21st Century Post-Industrial Technologies. Uh, a little bit of a mouthful, but uh, we really enjoyed the paper and uh, you know we uh, wanted to talk with you a little bit, a bit about it. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. So, so to begin, just just for the general audience, because um, they haven't, you know, we've read your paper, but they haven't. Um, and your title uh, it, it gives it gives a good insight into what the paper is going to be about. But I, my question for you, the first question is, uh, what is the main idea that you want people to grasp in this paper once it's out there? Well, yeah. What's like the thesis? Well, I would say the I say the first the thing that's very important is to realize that. Um, for those of us who want to save wild nature, we can't save wild nature without saving man, because man is the one who created industrial technologies. And um, so, if you want to get if you want to get nature out of the clutches of humanity, you have to get humanity out of the clutches of technology. That's a very important thing to remember, um, especially the second thing that leads right into the second thing, which is that the industrial technology today is is controlled by 21st century algorithmic technology mm -hmm. um, that has followed on in the information revolution. And that man, humanity is now coming under control of that technology. And that technology directly controls the industrial technology. So what I'm really trying to say here is that humanity and nature are in this together. Mm -hmm. One cannot save wild nature by turning against humanity. We have to redeem humanity. We have to improve ourselves. Um, we cannot extinguish ourselves and expect these new technologies without us will destroy nature much faster. And furthermore, we have to be for ourselves. There is no self-respect if we are not for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, totally. That, that's I, I think that's great because it speaks to like something that we notice a lot in kind of pop culture and even among like some anarchists nowadays is that like a lot of people identify human beings as the problem that we're the like like faulty in some in, intrinsic way and that we're causing all of this destruction. Um, and so like, but if you focus on humanity as the issue, then that's not going to get us any closer to a solution. You know, you you point out, uh, you know, that the issue now is uh, not so much like these industrial technologies that a lot of uh, neo luddites kind of talk about. That it, it's it's upgraded in the twenty first century. How 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 does the problems that we're facing now in the twenty first century differ from those that were addressed by like Kaczynski back in the day or, or things that we're looking at in the nineties? Right. Well, I think the, I think it is the same issue posed by, by uh, Ted Kaczynski. However, um, it has to be updated to the twenty first century. Right. In other words, he wrote in the 20th century. So a whole other layer has occurred since he wrote, and we have to bring, basically, we have to adopt his, and update his, his whole thing to accommodate what's going on in the 21st century. Mm. It's the same idea. So first of all, I'd like to say that the people who think they're just defending wild nature without understanding that humanity came from nature and that the two things go together, humanity and nature, if one is a self-hating human, then one and one is just trying to save nature then one is engaged in a surrogate activity mm -hmm. because it's based on our power process is based on our furthering ourselves and improving ourselves and developing ourselves it is not about hating ourselves 
that Ted said that self-hatred is a leftist trait. Yeah. So that so we have to understand that we all we are all in this together. That's number one. Number two, the difference between what Ted was writing about in the 20th century and what we have now is that the industrial technology basically um, this was man you know basically using industrial technology to conquer nature mm -hmm. and so you had all of nature being used as a standing reserve this is what heidegger would call it standing reserve for our use when you take a tree and turn it into lumber it is no longer a tree it is these blocks of lumber right right okay so what's happening now is that the new technology, the algorithmic technology, which is even fewer people at the helm of it, is now turning man himself into standing reserve. We, like we are the resources now. We are the we are the natural resources. Yeah. We are the new natural resource for, and I would call this. This is not. Oh yeah, the people who programmed it. No, it's the whole system. The system. You know, whether you're talking about Ted or whether you're talking about. Um, Mumford, whether you're talking about a world, the system is a combination of of humans and 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 artifacts, basically, and and machines. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a self-propelling, you know, thing that that self-evolves and runs by itself, but it feeds on some energy. So it was feeding and building itself on natural energy, and now it's doing it on human human natural energy. Mm -hmm. And that's what he, what he, you know, the human equivalent of what, um, when the tree becomes lumber, the human becomes data. Right. And this 21st century system feeds on data. So I call that the human data reserve, which is the human version of standing reserve. Okay. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause like I, you know, we, we talk about humans being transferred into data like that. And it seems like this isn't really, uh, this isn't really a secret. It seems like a, a lot of people are kind of aware of the fact that they are just data for the system, especially about when all these things about Facebook and Google come to light and how they're using people's data and to, to make money. And like, you know, you have this free service, quote unquote, on your phone, but you're really paying for it in, in this way. They're just turning you into data that can be used and sold. Um, but it's it's interesting that how like they don't have to hide it and it, it's it's still so effective. Uh, that, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of self-hating or self-hating humans, right? Yeah. Humans who have demeaned themselves, who don't believe they deserve any better, who exist to serve the system, who have been sort of almost trained to be servo mechanisms to the system, and and they think that's all they deserve. And what and what this thing does is it eats their mind. Yeah. You know and turns it into data and their mind because they're because they are oh outsourcing their their human functions they're two machines these algorithms mm -hmm. they actually lose the capabilities that they were born with in nature yeah. their minds start to be emptied out of their natural capabilities right right and that would be um you know if, if whoever depends too much on a gps device loses his ability to navigate space yeah and so, yeah so like in in a in a similar way it seems that like you know the more we communicate with each other through these digital technologies the more like the less able we're able to communicate in a person-to-person -person situation we're, we're like ridding ourselves of our social ability yeah and that's why you have a whole generation you know obviously not everybody but many many who are, are awkward socially who are scared to speak on people they, they're just terrified of unscripted conversation with, with their fellow humans 
and they end up having to take college courses on conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're losing the thing that kept humans alive for all, even animals have social capabilities. But everything that is outsourced is everything that is lost. It is not a service. It is masquerading as a service. It is an extraction parasitical type of uh, thing, not, not a service. Yeah, it's not making anything easier. It's just making them worse. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to just um, sit in a, in a cell, you know, a, a virtual cell and do nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. It, would, it would be easy if nobody ever did anything, right? It would be easier <laughs> just to lie down and die or just do nothing and just be a sloth and just, you know, um, just let everything happen past you. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you can, you know what I mean? That, that at some point, um, ease is the wrong type of goal to have. Exactly, yeah. Ease is not, it's whatever strengthens us, whatever, whatever makes us, you know, basically stronger um, to improve ourselves, to develop ourselves, develop ourselves within the constraints of nature. We develop together with nature and we do not allow anything to regress us. Mm-hmm. That ease thing is, is just somebody who doesn't want to exist, really, in my opinion. They doesn't want to exist and exert themselves for natural rewards. Yeah, yeah. They've embraced some kind of horrible kind of nihilism and it's taken over their worldview. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, West, I have a I have a question for you about something that you reference specifically in your piece. Um, and I'll just read you I'll just read you the, the short part of the quote, because um, you're talking about uh, the relation between the modern uh, computerized system and humanity and nature. Right. And so yeah. you're, and so you say, so you're, you're talking about how um, the system, the network system in humanity, in which both parts are becoming unequal yet intact, contributes some greater unified whole, but rather of the evolutionary out competition of human and natural life by networks of 21st century artificial systems in accordance with universal Darwinism. And my question yeah. is, this is a new, so that's a new term for me. I've never heard the phrase universal Darwinism and you don't exactly expound on it in the piece. So I was wondering what, what exactly is that? Yeah, it's really, it's, it, it didn't come from me. It came from the tech community. Um, basically it's the same, basically the same Darwinism that we talk about, the, you know, the competition of species. Yeah. Okay. So take that and expand it to anything that has dynamism anything so a system can outcompete a human mm-hmm. so we're not in other words we're taking a universal darwinism would even apply to other other you know life in space in other words it would apply to anything anything that evolved you know and it's not just not just i mean ideas evolve right so you could apply it to ideas you could apply it to computers you could apply it to anything and so that's the point is that original darwinism was simply about biological life Universal Darwinism takes that and applies it to anything. So, for example, the early, um, the early tech uh, theorist uh, Steve Amahandu talked about how this technology, uh, he was, I mean, he was deeply involved in it, would flow downhill. It would, it, it would take the shortest path, right, to flow downhill to conserve energy. Um, and, and, I, and, you know, I'll say that it will flow downhill and it will go right through human flesh and right through nature. Right. And it will outcompete. As it does so, because if you're if competition, if, if survival is based on efficiency, let's say efficiency for the hunt, okay? So the lion that hunts more efficiently because um, he has more capabilities than another animal is going to outcompete that other animal and maybe use him as prey. 
So the problem is we are, if this technology is the lion and we're the prey, we will be outcompeted by this technology because it is more efficient. It, it wants to, I mean, it doesn't want anything. I'm, I don't want to anthropomorphize it. But it will, if we feed this energy into it, it will continue to expand like a cancer. It will not only colonize human minds, but essentially it will colonize physical space. Think about, think about how humans have basically driven wild species into very tight contained areas like, you know, gorillas in Africa, for example, mm-hmm. you know, carved through their habitat and confined them into little islands. Right. Well, that's kind of going to happen to us. Because when you start basically putting somebody, keeping somebody is not really doing a lot outside. Like, I mean, COVID is simply a warning about what that could be like. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in their little block house and they surrender. They don't go shopping anymore. They don't do it. Even the modern world stuff, they don't do anymore. They don't go outside. They don't use the parks. They don't, you know, they don't go and, and, and interact with other people in person, right? Eventually, you've got people essentially confined to these virtual human zoos. You've got your little virtual cell, which would, you know, the square on Zoom might be a good (laughs) metaphor, but I actually prefer the Facebook avatar myself. You're you're confined in this virtual prison cell, and everything else will be taken. This system will take all the ground that we give up. And we will be outcompeted because we have surrendered our minds. Our minds are our strength. Our minds, our minds that, that you know, have self-awareness and have, you know, in other words, if you give up, you give up your power, your power and your power process and you, you give all your ground away. Um, well, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? I mean, eventually those <laughs> machines will be able to produce their own data resource. They won't need us for that. Yeah. And it will just keep expanding like a bacteria, you know, or a fungus. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's funny. I, uh, uh, I think a lot about this uh, quote. I think it was Herbie Hancock, maybe um, that that he. There was like a brief little interview where they were talking about the technology they were using to make their music. And at the time, they were they were like, "Oh, it's just a tool," you know. And this is what a lot of people still think that you know, it, humans are the issue. If there's any problem going on with technology, it's about the person that's using it, not the tech itself. And at the end of the quote, he goes like, um, "You know, like." Why do people blame technology? Like humans are the ones that have to turn it on. They can't program themselves yet. And then they laugh about it. And it's like, <laughs> that's where we're at right now. It's programming itself. Literally. We hear about like, there is, yeah. there's video games that they make where they just send like virtual drones into a, like a digital space and it creates a world. And you ask the game makers like, Hey, what's going on in this game? They're like, we have no idea. Like we have to explore it to figure out what's going on. So it's like, it, it's, it, and you know, that's just an analogy for what's happening everywhere that, uh, um, we're just letting it take over. And, um, uh, you, you know, you mentioned COVID. That's something we, we've talked about a little bit, that it's uh, definitely like uh, a window into what we're getting towards. And I see uh, people post things now, post like quote unquote post pandemic, if you think that we're out of it. But um, that, you know, they talk about how their lives really didn't change when the pandemic started and it's still the same now after the pandemic. And they're just happy to be sitting inside in their little, in their little, digital prisons, uh, you know, getting all the dopamine boosts they could ask for. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and if, if, you, if, if you give up, if we give up our right to inhabit physical space, we will lose it. Mm-hmm. That something more dynamic that is feeding on our energy, that is parasiting off of us, will occupy that space 
someday or I mean what if every space around you ended up you know 50 years from now being a you know you see all these robot factories go up where you know where our our place you know human spaces used to be yeah so uh, the same way that we saw human spaces take over where natural spaces used to be we're going to see machine spaces taking over where human spaces if we abandon them to a dynamic to a dynamic force under universal darwinism we will be crowded out out-competed, our human habitats will become increasingly hostile as they are taken over by non-human entity, you know, elements. Mm-hmm. And we will simply be out-competed. And, and look at, you know, if people are not out in person, they're not going to reproduce. I mean, we already have that problem. They're not going to reproduce. They're not going to, you know, I mean, even, I'm not talking about in overpopulated spaces, but I mean, even at replacement levels, they're not going to reproduce. Yeah. Meaning our natural functions are, are, are not going to be, people are going to, uh, you know, basically get rid of all their natural functions and do only service to the machine. Yeah, we're, we're being atrophied in a weird way. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly, atrophy is a good word for it. When you surrender your power process, you are a slave. So West, I have a follow because you mentioned this concept of a human zoo, like the digital zoo, or even like a like so in, in with the pandemic, it was both of the physical zoo, like we were confined to the home, but also a digital zoo. And uh, in yeah. your paper, you quoted Elon Musk, and um, and he talked, he 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 acknowledged this as a possible outcome, saying, "So you know, that's one of the possible outcomes for us." So my question's a little strange because we're clearly on one side of the issue, right? Like we're like, this yeah. is a bad thing. Like, like the eventual outcome is that we're going to be put in human zoos. So um, my question is for people that are positive with technology, like Elon Musk, what do you think? Like, so they think, they think that there's some positive outcome to all this, right? What do you think, what do you okay. think they think that positive outcome is? I, I would not characterize the, I think some, okay, some of them, I'll, I'll separate it. Let me start with Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that Elon Musk has a positive outcome. I believe that Elon Musk, um, you know, he, he tried to, he spent a lot of time trying to basically stand up and jump up and down and tell people that AI is going to, is going to basically destroy us if we don't get it under control. Right. Um, nobody, nobody wanted to listen, not even to him. As even as powerful a system player as he is, they didn't, others did not want to listen to him. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is, okay, they didn't listen to me. So now the only other option to survive humanity is to merge it with the machine. Mm-hmm. And of course that's wrong, but, but that's what, but I don't think he sees that as a positive outcome. I, I think he sees that as the only outcome and trying to get the best out of best you can, like settling. It's not the optimal outcome. Then there's these other people like, you know, the, um, the transhumanists. They, mm-hmm. they have this kind of um, almost religious, view, like singularity university kind of view or whatever they would create a religion called singularity religion, (laughs) (laughs) which is that man will transcend himself essentially by, um, by uploading his consciousness into a machine. Yeah. So the board basically. You you can carve, you can, you want to slice section the person's, cross section the person's brain and, and copy and, you know, emulator and all that. And they don't see that as killing somebody they don't understand the concept of consciousness actually they totally don't devalue human consciousness and and just like they would devalue animal awareness Mm -hmm. they devalue our self-awareness right and they they see that they see that as as uh immortality so that's their outcome is they call that immortality even though it's death Mm -hmm. 
yeah, they, they, uh, it's, it's funny because we were talking about Darwinism too. I, I think a lot of people have like people that are pro technology, they have this attitude that like, oh, we've, you know, we've gotten so intelligent that we don't abide by the rules of evolution anymore. That like, we, like we've, we've taken it over and now we're, now we're ascending to a new level and we're like, uh, but, but they don't see yet. Oh yeah, they, I mean, that's the, the basic, that's the basic driving idea behind all this gene editing going on is like, we can now control like the natural, like we can start, oh, like plants, we can just make them grow better by editing these genes. We don't know the long-term consequences yeah. of any of this altering, you know, the natural genes that are there. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, I think that's the general principle behind a lot of like geneticists, yeah. They're, they're, they're too, yeah, that's yeah. They're pro-rationality, very, very, they think that we can use rationality to overcome any problems that we might have. And they completely, I think, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about it on our last call that like, you know, we need to find this balance between rationality and instinct or just like natural be, uh, behavior, however you want to term that side of the spectrum. Well, and, and, uh, and emotion and, you know, um, you know, logic and emotion, right? We have yeah. our head and our heart, so to speak. But I mean, I, I want to comment on the gene editing. Yeah, right. I mean, um, the, the, the whole thing that the idea that you can control evolution is a the reason it's so arrogant is because you're talking about nature's natural process. And nature's natural process is so much more complex than anything that any human or, or group of humans could ever understand, could ever nail down. I mean, I've done some meteorology in my life. And the atmosphere is so complex, it's like a chaos theory that that's why you can't get a forecast beyond a week because, you know, once the initial conditions start to, re, you know, the error starts to increase, mm -hmm. um, it, it gets like a, you get a totally different outcome. So my point is that if you can't even, if you can't even understand meteorology beyond a week, okay, mm -hmm. the way that these, you think that you can, you think really that you can, uh, you can actually grasp all the complexities and the evolution of any species to even including your own, especially or yeah. any species to interfere with it. You're, you're hitting it with a blunt instrument instead of nature is very refined and super duper complex, you know, um, uh, self-driven process. In other words, you're overriding a, a, a very complex self-driven process with a self-conscious, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be basically very blunt, meaning, a very inaccurate um, uh, imitation of that, and it's going to screw it up because it's not natural. It's not the natural process. Yeah, no. it's going to have the kind of consequences that that would have. You know, you know, nature's process needs to be left to nature. Yeah, yeah, we're we are we think of ourselves as gods, and it's going to be our downfall. That's right. I, I yeah, actually have an exactly. interesting uh, example. So, like, I, I've been looking a lot into like dog breeds uh, recently, as of late. And something that I've noticed, like, almost across the board, is that in the last like 120 years, right, basically after the end of World War One, that's when people started like like standardizing dog breeds. Well, like, so like German, that's when like German shepherds became, oh, it's this lineage and these genes and like all, all of this correlation. But then the moment we started standardizing these dog breeds is when almost all of their genetic problems showed up. So if you look at any pictures of like, so like modern day German shepherds, they almost universally have terrible hip dysplasia, right? Like they have really bad hips. And, um, and, but if you look at pictures like from before World War One of German shepherds, like across the board, none of them had hip dysplasia because there was like this constant, like, there's variation. There's variation. There was like this naturalized outbreeding between German shepherds and other work dogs where like the gene pools weren't getting so collapsed in on themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And it was, it's just interesting because like because uh, this because this issue with like our abuse, I, I call it abuse, but, like our abuse of genes, like we see this a lot in plants with like monocultures where like insects, like there's insect species that are now adapting to the monocultures and are wiping out 80% of a country's crops mm -hmm. because there's only one, there's only one type of, there's no genetic variation at all in agriculture anymore. And um, right. it's just, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just a huge problem for like the mod, like, for the modern technologists, it's a huge problem because they don't know how to, they can't, they basically can't keep up the pace to adapt to the genetic alterations we've already made that have all these unintended consequences. It's too, it's too complex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we can't, we can't hope to, to, to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I had, I had a, Wes, I had a question um, uh, about going back to communication a little bit um, because I know you, you prefer to talk on the phone rather than like email or something like that. Is that, that's right. Well, yeah, because um, email is asynchronous. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. And it's very distant and very over formalized, and sixty percent of all emails are misunderstood, according to the the research. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. It's because you've eliminated, you've not only eliminated the the you know when you're on the phone, yeah, you have to traverse distance, but if you, in other words, you at least have the the, the sound, you know, the human human voice. But but if you eliminate both the human voice. Um, and the uh, and the physical presence, the visual and the physical, and that physical presence, the feeling between people. You know, you eliminate all the human elements, and really, all that's left in an email is something that the machine requires. It's just data. It's not. It's not communication, in my opinion. It's data. Right. Data transfer. It's transfer of. It's exchange of data. Data exchange, and and it's not communication. So you know, I don't mind using it to, to pass documents back and forth, but it is not a substitute for conversation of any kind whatsoever, in my opinion. Right, I, to I totally agree. Um, I, I wondered because uh, you know, I think that I see this kind of trend that's been happening in communication technologies that uh, I don't know. I, I remember like you're um, obviously a bit older than I am, but I remember when um, uh, I was probably in middle school when like texting first became uh, a big thing and everybody started using texting instead of talking on the phone. And then very quickly you saw how people were started to become afraid of answering their phones. They're like, oh, why don't you just text me? They, they prefer, cause I don't know, there's this like fear that they developed from an atrophy of uh, the, or, like, you know, their social skills have been atrophied. And so they prefer to like this textual communication. Um, but it seems like there's kind of been this pushback where I don't know, we, we see more like everybody uses like FaceTime and things like that now and like Zoom calls. So it seems like people are trying to get that, uh, that synchronous communication back in a way. Um, I don't know, wh what do you think about how these like technologies have developed like Zoom calls and uh, FaceTime and things that are, seem to be more synchronous, um, but are, you know, they require a lot more technology to upkeep them. Yeah, so, um, you know, texting, I, first of all, texting, I think is, a, is, is uh, you know, sometimes I will bring people onto the text to get them off the email because at least it's a little more intimate and a little more synchronous than, than email and it's a less, little less formal. Right. You know, it's more, but it's still, a, so you still lose that you've got the loss of the spatial dimension and also the loss of the temporal dimension when you do asynchronous communication. Mm -hmm. Now, with Zoom, of course, um, you, you know, I don't know, it's weird because, Somehow that screen, um, I don't know, it's hard to, it's synchronous, but it's totally sterile somehow. Yeah. Looking at a person, and that's why you've got a thing called Zoom fatigue. You've got a person, I mean, it should work, but somehow this simulated version of looking in someone's eyes, you're looking in their eyes, but but they're not looking in, you know, 
what are they looking at? I mean, if they're looking yeah. at the camera, they're not looking at you. So exactly. that, for them to look in your eyes, they have to look directly in the camera and not look at your eyes. And, it, and it's also because people are looking at themselves and they're looking at each other at the same time. So they're so they're self-conscious, you know, in, yeah. in the sense that they're looking at themselves and they can see their own, you know, they're trying to, but, but, but yes, I, I totally agree with that, that you could be recorded, even if you're, you know, even and people don't use it to talk one on one as much. They use it for for groups. So it's like you know, you're in these little Hollywood Squares boxes. But but <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying though about when you look at the camera, you the camera is above where the other person's eyes are. Yeah, exactly. So you can't lock eyes with somebody unless the camera was positioned right where their eyes are. You can you're not really locked eyes with them because. Because um, basically, uh, to really look directly at somebody in a in a computer, you have to look at the camera, which means you're not looking at the picture of their eyes. Yeah, I would not be surprised if we saw within the next five years some kind of technology that has a camera that tracks that's like behind the screen or something that tracks you know? where a person's eyes are. Like, I I would not be surprised if as, as Zoom becomes more popular, as people become more comfortable living indoors as we have more pandemics, which I'm sure there will be. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's only gonna get worse. You know, I, I think it, it would be, it would be, I think it would be bad if it were um, a simulation for, you know, people who live locally who could meet each other in person. Um, I actually found that it's distracting all of this, like you say, performative stuff. And, and in a way I prefer the phone stuff. I thought I would like the video call, like, but it's almost a distraction. I think there is some acting out and somehow on the phone, it just, it feels like it's outside. It's just more authentic, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will do Zoom calls, but I don't particularly like them to be honest with you. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so West, I have a question. Um, early on in your piece, you talk about, um, just like the general framework of the modern system where you, you talk about like the kingpin oligarchs, like the technophiles, the mega corporations that are incorporated with the system. And, uh, and then I'll quote you the specific question I want to ask. You say uh, you're talking about like the politics, right? Then you say the declining institution of the state, a mostly non-functioning human institution that retains some legacy capabilities. So my two questions about this idea are um, what is your, so let me let me phrase this properly. What do you think the future of politics looks like in the 21st century? Like like not like not like what like the politics directionally are going to go, but how will the political world interact? Because it used to be like, you know, you look at ancient Athens and the political world was very interconnected with the human world. Right. Like it was almost one in the same. Like you wanted to go participate in the democracy. If you you know, you're a free person, you could go to the marketplace and you would be participating directly in your democracy. And like, that's clearly gone, we've clearly gone further and further away from that. So where do you think it's going to go? Like, what is gonna be the future of how politics looks? If, if the technocracy like continues. Conti if, 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 yeah, if, if it continues in the, if it continues to decline, that is. Uh, corporate techno autocracy. So I'll, I'll break that down. The, the, the corporations are already more powerful than the government. Mm -hmm. The corporations are non-human. The corporations are um, basically just like the electricity flowing downhill. So they're, um, they're, they're uh, autocratic, right? Mm -hmm. They're autocratic also because those corporations in a way run by themselves. They're already, you know, even the people who run them have very few options. 
So uh, autocratic, autonomic, um, and then uh, the techno part is that the humans will be increasingly taken out of the governance, so you will have AI governance, and people will support it because that way the human biases, they, they will sink her out of it. And what they don't understand is that they are literally, they're human, all their human lives are being systematized to, uh, for other people's benefit. And, and all of their higher functions are being fed into the machine and destroyed under that type. And, and China is the prototype right now. China is the beginning. It's a little different because in China, the state and the corporations are one thing. Um, but but if you, but it, it's it is it has all the symptoms of uh, techno autocracy. So total surveillance, total programming of your life by non every aspect of your life and your thoughts by non human entities. That's what I think. That, that's that's a great. I'm just I'm just taking notes on. Well, that that's a that's a that's exactly that's. Not what I wanted to hear, but that's a great answer. That, <laughs> not that I wanted to hear anything in particular, but that was just a, that was just a really, really phenomenal answer. That that um, that's just a good answer. Yeah, that was great. It's it's definitely it's definitely where we're going. It, it's so like I guess we'll ask us, um, you know, we 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 talk about a lot of people kind of have or the technocracy kind of promotes this idea that you know humans are the problem that we have these biases that need to be uh, taken over with rational systematic in a rational systematic way. Um, what are some ways that you see that we can kind of uh, re-inspire hope in, uh, in in people's lives, like or, or like reinvigorate people's uh, confidence in themselves as human beings, and and uh, try, try to make make them aware that uh, these biases that we talk about um, are really not things that should be uh, rationalized, like. Look, I think a polity, a polity, we used, you know, a polity, a body politic used to be a human institution. It was a human thing. It was run according to human priorities. Mm -hmm. So all of the, I think that the, all of the uh, discord that, you know, all the people being upset with, I think we have to turn them, they, they're blaming each other. Yeah. So basically they have to start blaming, understanding that, that what, what they're experiencing is being caused by the system, not by the people, not by each other. And they've turned on each other and they're leaving the oligarchs and their systems, their autonomic systems are leaving those alone. And, and, and that's, they're losing their humanity to those things. So the first thing to do is to get people to focus on the system as the thing that's doing this to them and not their fellow citizens. Right. Yeah. Without that, I mean, because but, let's see, the problem is I don't think people care about it. I don't, I think they, I don't think they think they deserve any better somehow. And they just lash out and complain, but they don't, they've lost their agency. They, their power process is gone. They've surrendered it yeah. because they don't want the responsibility. And increasingly, I believe that people don't even want the responsibility of their own consciousness, that they see their, their consciousness as a burden and they would like to be programmed in a way. So I don't think you can, most of the mass, the mass man is like the last man and he's gone already. So I think you have to focus on the people who are still here, who still have presence. Mm -hmm. We have to focus on those people and, and those people cannot do anything as, as individual atoms. They have to they have to be restored trust in one another so that they can actually build things together that are human and that respect nature and that, that take responsibility for things instead of giving responsibility away. And, and that's the key right there that, you know, inspiring people won't do any good if they're all by themselves. Nobody can, can do anything 
all by himself. But if you get people who can do things together, they can do things, you know, sort of bypass the system, if you will, and start to have our own human things again. Yeah, yeah. So I think the more we've been talking, I think I've started putting some pieces together about um, about uh, your uh, beliefs would be the best way. Your your philosophy, better way to put it. Um, um, but it seems like a compared to compared to like Ted, right? Um, Ted was really focused on like action in a way. He was very much focused on like. This is the world. This is how we need to change it. And it seems like one of the big, because you're trying to adapt his approach to the to, to today, to the 21st century. And it seems like the big difference between you and Ted is that while Ted was focusing almost on the out there physical world, you're especially focused on like freeing the human mind first, it seems like. And um yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure that was a correct. I just want to make sure I was getting the. Well, that's the difference, though, because he was writing in the 20th century, and the human mind was not under the kind of assault then that it is now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't under any assault, but it wasn't under assault by something that was supposed to be more intelligent or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, I think I think the only thing I think the only mistake he made is that he gave too much credit to people who had already deteriorated past the point where. See, he thought he could inspire people, but mm-hmm. they'd already deteriorated past that point. And I think he thought if he could just um, show them that this was happening, just make them aware that they would jump to it. But but I think he overestimated that. Mm-hmm. I, I really, you know, most of that in a mass sense. And, you know, and, um, and, and also I think that um, the out there physical was still, was still relevant in the 20th century. But the 21st century, the attack is on our minds. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can't free our in other words, it's the, that's what's imploded in the 21st century. So before you had a bunch of people who were, you know, couch potatoes and stuff and really kind of, you know, consumerist, but their actual minds were not under assault, like in the, in the sense that, you know, we want to take your thoughts and use them for data kind of thing. Yeah. We want to complete your natural capabilities. No. So that's why it's different now because the, the machines of the 20th century were built to replace human manual, manual effort. Right. The machines of the 21st century, which are algorithms, are being built to replace the mental and cognitive capabilities of humans. Mm-hmm. And that is why the mind is being essentially enslaved the mind. And, and so it's the mind that this is a, like, you know, kind of like what Mumford said, the myth of the machine. Right, right. You know, that, but, but, it's, but it goes deeper than that because it's, if, the, if your mind is under attack, uh, you know, then you have to defend the human mind. Mm-hmm. If the physical world is under attack, then you have to defend nature. And you have to defend humanity's, you know, you have to stop humanity from doing, you know, what it's doing even to itself. You have to, you have to, you know, you have to defend man from losing his power process to industrial machines, right? Right, right. But today it's, it's, uh, it's the mind and, and it's the mind that's under attack and it's the mind that's being used as, as a resource for the system. And that was not the case in the 20th century. So I would say that the differences that you speak of are differences in the centuries that we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. And if we don't update, you know, we have to update to the 21st century because these ideas are valid and they, we need those ideas to function in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So the physical out there that we, I believe, have to deal with is basically reclaiming our physical spaces 
also so that so that we don't surrender them to techno-corporate governance. Yeah. So there is there is that element too. The out there is I'm going to go let's let's uh, restore our uh, dealings with each other in person out there. Yeah, to take 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 all this communication offline. Actually, right. yeah, to, to make sure that people aren't having their social skills atrophied, uh, and that's that's just step one. Of, of yeah, online is a human zoo. It's a human confinement area. Believe me, when these when people are basically, it's attention attention capture is the method of assault on our minds. Attention capture by these technologies, and while people's attention is captured by these technologies, they are literally taking over every space that we ever had. Everything that we ever have, they are just reconfiguring everything. And people don't notice because their pleasure centers are being stimulated and they're being confined to virtual online zoos. Mm -hmm. And and that is what, that is why, uh, that's what I mean by free the mind because, it, you know, that if we don't do that, I mean, people will lose everything because they have given everything up just so that they can inhabit those spaces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not even... Yeah, it's not even just a matter of like bringing these issues to light. It's it's like making it clear that things can still be done to overtake that, that it's not too late, at least for those that are enlightened enough. Um, I, I guess I'll ask you, like, uh, I, I think you briefly mentioned, do you think that there are uh, a lot of that, like most of the population is too far gone at this point compared to like the 20th century, given how like technology is focused on the human mind now that it's it seems almost uh, futile to try to reach out to the masses, so to speak. That it's a matter. Yeah, of I mean, there's no there's no point. I mean, the mass man was created out of mass society of the 20th century, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, the industrial revolution created mass man. It also created total war. Yeah. Um, but the, but the mass man himself was already once he became a mass man and was and was removed from his natural small communities, he was already gone because mm -hmm. basically. Um, he had no more essentially responsibilities with other people in the, in the sense of being in a community. And, and, and essentially he's already lost. He's already basically all the pleasures and everything, even from consumer society. You know, Nietzsche talked about the last man and his qualities, and that is exactly what we see around us. Mm -hmm. So no, the masked man is not, uh, the, the, the last, last men are not going to do anything except, uh, be, you know, essentially jello. Yeah. So you know, so we, I believe that we need to focus on the people who are still here. I see people popping out of existence every day. You know, it's like I've been seeing that for the last 20 years, people just popping out of our existence and, and where, where they're going is in these uh, virtual, you know, human zoos. Mm -hmm. So I think my point is that people are popping out of existence. I, I sense their loss, uh, you know, um, what I'm saying is that the people who are still here are the people who can still do things. Yeah. Because the people who popped out, they did it because they wanted to. Right, yeah. They couldn't handle, they yeah, they just couldn't handle the day-to-day the -day anymore, like the day-to-day -day pressures, and they just had to be sublimated, basically. They want to be run, they want they are reduced to, you know, there was an author of the human, what is it called, um, Reengineering Humanity. They said that, they, that people are being basically downgraded to function at the level of simple machines. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 there are people who see their consciousness as a burden. They, they see it as oppressive to have to live in human communities. Yeah. And, um, and they would rather just be programmed and act like automatons. Mm -hmm. So those people, you, you know, those people are, they, they have a different, I, don't, I almost want to say different level of consciousness. They're not really, they don't want this. They want that. 
they want to they don't they 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 want to be they want to be controlled and told what to do they do not want um you know to be autonomous they see that as oppressive and a burden so it's the it's the small percentage of people who, who see that as as the only you know that that's the basic thing that needs to be protected that those people who still are here and and want that and see themselves as being limited by these by these machines that are trying to reduce them to uh, to simple machines themselves to essentially automatons that just take instructions and, and follow you know every bit of their life they are told what to do. Um, it's the other people who are not last men that that need to be um, you know coming together here. Yeah, yeah. To bypass these systems and figure out what do we want to do with humans? What what can the percentage of humans that don't want that? How you know? How do we rebuild human life for for the people that still want it? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to lose eighty percent of the people, if not more, no matter what. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. But but I think that I think that um, the the chance for some part portion of humanity to survive this intact. You know, let's say the system collapses with those eighty, you know, eighty percent or whatever. They just, but but the other twenty percent can still survive if we if we make an effort to survive and to to preserve ourselves, to conserve ourselves, which is why I call conservation of man, mm-hmm. because that's our responsibility to ourselves right. uh, and to each other is to try to preserve human life from this destruction, and nobody can do it as an atom. So uh, forgive me if I'm asking you to re- repeat yourself here, but like for those, for that 20%, um, uh, for those that identify themselves as part of that 20%, what would you say is the first step for them uh, to help, you know, prepare or either prepare for the collapse? To or, conserve. To, or, yeah, well, to how conserve can they, how can they take the first step to conservation of man? They can't do anything by themselves. Right. The system is too powerful. They cannot, they have to band together with other like thinkers and, and strategize what to do. Mm-hmm. In the Nobody real world, yeah. I am, that's the whole point. The system carved everybody into atoms. Mm-hmm. They destroyed our small communities. And, and that's how humans have survived for all of these uh, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So nobody can do anything by himself. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you tell someone, how do you change politics? Do you think you're going to change it by yourself? Of course not. It's too big. Mm-hmm. It's too big, too complex. It needs strategy. It needs long-term thinking. It needs minds coming together to uh, to figure out what is the best course of action. What is the best way to survive this? What is the best way to preserve something for the future? Yeah. What is the best way to counter this system out from outside it? Mm-hmm. So we need to connect. We need to connect yeah, to each other, and network, and and. Uh you know, build a, start building a community in the real world, start strategizing in the real world. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you do mention uh, at, towards the end of your paper, when you, you know, you're talking about what, what to do, um, that there is some sense, like once uh, a strategy is created, that there is uh, some use for technology at that point. Can you, can you describe how you think we could, how, how that works? Well, I mean, basically, once you decide, it depends on what you decide to do. If you decide mm-hmm. to just try to bypass the system and, and build, you know, build a future, basically build a, you know, by example, show how humans can survive outside the system. 
Um, and then people will come to you because they'll see, you know, oh yeah, there is an alternative, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way. But, um, but basically you have to, to get individual people that are already, you know, supporting our way of thinking, you have to go into the technology to get them. Right. You can't talk to them without getting into the technology, but then, but then the idea is to bring the conversation. Once you go in there and get them, you bring them the conversation outside the technology Mm -hmm. and you show them that there's, um, you know, they're here, we've got, you know, a community of people here mm-hmm. and we're trying to, you know, figure out, um, you know, basically how do we, how do we survive the, you know, how do we, how do we help each other to strengthen ourselves against the destructive, uh, you know, techniques of the system right. and strengthen ourselves. That's us using our power process. That's what we're doing. You know, when we do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the other thing is that if we, but if we decide to engage, if we want to engage the system, like, we want to, for example, we have um, a crisis happens and we decide it's, a, it's an opportunity. We go in there and we make a statement and, and the statement, you know, comes at a time when it can kind of be absorbed by, by the people who are, who are disaffected. And that will bring people as well to bring, you know, bring our voice into, um, you know, the people will see that there is some pushback to this, this, uh, you know, trajectory, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of, so, so tactically we will all, and in other words, anything we want to say to the mass public or even to, even to a specific segment of the public, you know, we have to do it that way, but I, but not as education, more as strategy tactics. Right. You know, this is that what you say has to directly impact the power of that system and empower people and mm-hmm. not just say, here's what you should do. There, nobody should do anything by himself. Right. It's not possible. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there are tactical, there are tactical uses of the technology. Mm-hmm. Tactical that have direct impact on the balance of power right. that are possible. But only if you have something to show for it, meaning if you really have a community of people. If you don't, then it's just, you know, it's just floating in the air. It's not anything. Right. It has to start in the real world. Uh, yes, it has to be grounded in the real world. And then you can take, you know, you, you know, you can utilize tactical, you know, tactical use of the technology when you have to, to, to alter the balance of power. Yes. Not to educate people. People, the people who are already feeling this pressure don't need to be educated. They need to be shown that there is an alternative and they need to be introduced to each other mm-hmm. yeah. and to us and, they, and to, to take back our, our responsibilities, our, our power process and execute our power process for mm-hmm. our own benefit and for the future. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So, uh, West, we're coming up on, on the hour here and um, and... I suppose my last question, I'm maybe Griffin has another one, but my last question is a lot of, a lot of our listeners um, are obviously already into anti-tech, uh, into the anti-tech world. And, uh, but, uh, but a lot of people that, that are into the anti-tech world have, are isolated, right? They, 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 they usually are like a lot of people that reach out to us are people that have like read Kaczynski or they found something by Dr. Skurbina and, you know, like a couple Google searches later, they end up, you know, c- communicating with us. Um, so if, and so, and you say that the first step, like there's nothing an individual can do, but what they have to do is to find like-minded people and try, you know, try to build something new. Like you said, either bypass the system or try to take people out of the system. Right. So, so then my question is for people like that, that are listening, um, and they, so imagine, I'm imagining, I'm saying this is like, I agree with you hundred percent, but what is like, how, 
how should I go about, and this is, you know, to, as a, if it was an audience question, how would I go about finding these other people in the real world? How should I go about doing that? Well, they found you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. They can, so that's it. That's our, they've already found, they've already found us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. Well, they've already found us, so so uh, they don't. They already know how to find us. Um, then we need to interact with them. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. As long as as long as we you know we aren't basing ourselves in the digital world. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We need to enter. We need if they found us, we need to interact with them. Yeah. So, so I you know like I I think a lot about um you know some of the walls that I feel like we hit sometimes when we have these conversations. I always think of. Um, I, I don't. I, I would say Kaczynski has kind of like an extremist attitude towards like the use of technology. It seems that the way he presents it, that uh, that engaging with it is always a bad idea. That it'll always, uh, you know, try to co-opt your efforts against it towards itself or something like that. Um, but you know, it seems like it is if that if we have the right mentality about it, um, that it is possible to use it as a tool. So I wonder, does, does, does that mean that like technology can be neutral if used in the right way? Or uh, I don't know, what, do you think that it's- No, I, first of all, I don't think, I don't think Ted actually said that. I mean, in the, okay. in the way, I don't think he said it in that absolute, I think he understood that you have to use the technology of the time because it's, you know, because you have to. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so I do think that he said that actually. Okay. Um, but, but I believe that I think he was interested in technological minimalism. And no, I don't believe it's neutral, even if you have to use it. You right. do what you have to because this is the environment we find ourselves in. Yeah. But, but I don't see it really as a tool. I see it as more, it's become an environment, actually. Yeah. And it's, more, it's become an environment. And so sometimes you have to enter that environment to, to bring out the people who want to have something different. It's like an alternate environment. Mm. And you don't want to live in that environment, but you sometimes have to enter it to talk to people who want to come out of that environment and not ground themselves there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and but not but to but to basically to think of um, actually so really we're being used as the tools actually so that's why you have to be really careful when you go into that environment that that environment doesn't become the be all and end all. Is the problem is that you then you just land in that environment. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I think. It's it's not neutral. It's an alternate environment to our own, mm -hmm. to our real world environment. So no, it's not neutral um, at all. So I think that it's strictly tactical, meaning only when we have to, and then minimal as minimal as possible. Yeah. I would say minimal to you know to the, only the degree that is absolutely required to do specific things that matter, not to educate people, not to. Um, not to, you know, basically contribute to the data stream and think that, you know, no, it's the point is to build human communities, to build, build a human effort. Yeah. And, and, re and, to, and to reinvigorate our real world environment. And that by just by doing that, we're reinvigorating, we are fighting it because we're reinvigorating our real world environment and our personal power processes. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, like when we were talking, when you were talking about how, uh, 
you know, pe- people don't want it there. They see their consciousness as a burden and like they, and I, I, you know, we see that too. Like people actively don't want to think they numb their brains with social media and stuff whenever they have free time, because they're like, it seems like they're afraid to be alone with their own minds, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I think some of it is because, you know, at least people our age, especially we've grown up in this, in this kind of technological world. So a lot of people haven't even been given the chance to see the benefits of their own autonomic processes to, to like their own autonomy to uh, they, they, they've only like, it's only been presented to them as negative that uh, the technological system has told them that if they, you know, sit alone with their minds and they'll create, it'll, you know, they'll be anxious. They'll be overthinking all the time. You'll get depression. You'll get X, you'll get, yeah, like, you'll have all these mental disorders that come from thinking about your own world. But it's yeah. technology that's created those things, in my opinion, that like, that's right. yes. that's absolutely, all the, the fact that your generation has all this anxiety and depression is, you know, is precisely because of, of being taken out of their, their human habitat and thrust into an artificial environment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a mental, mentally artificial, mentally artificial environment yeah. because it's not their physical environment. You know, mm-hmm. it's not their physical environment. It's it's a it's a it's a simulated environment, and it's the it's the the surrealism between the simulated you know the surrealism of, of the simulating environment trying to overlay the real one that causes the dis- dissonance, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of existential dissonance. And yeah. so if you make somebody along with their own, put them along with their own thoughts, they're going to experience existential dissonance. And, and then they're going to freak out. They're not going to, they're going to be told because they're already ungrounded is my point. Mm-hmm. So that's why when they did this study, they did a study where they put um, people in a, you know, they put people in a room and they said, what would you prefer? Would you prefer an electric shock or 15 minutes alone with your own thoughts? Guess what the majority chose? The electric shock. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's, how, that's the level of severity of the last man having lost his grounding. That's 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 shocking, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the, now you know the burden of consciousness to them, and so you can't you can't expect that the mass of people know. I think. You know, you ever see the Poseidon Adventure? I don't know if you did. It's you know, I'm a Gen X. I was a little, you know, little girl in the in that era when that came out in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar but with it. Yeah, you did see it. Oh, you saw the old version. So there was a point where you had the mass of people walking a certain way, and this priest had seven people with him, mm-hmm. and they were going the other way, mm-hmm. and you know, they were all walking further downhill, like deeper in, you know, into the sinking ship. Right, and he, he's standing there with his seven people and he's got dozens of people passing by. He's telling him, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You know, they're all going to their death and the, and the seven people survive. Uh-huh. They're the only ones who survive. And that was all they could get with them. But they did survive. Yeah. The seven people found their way up to the top and got out. Mm-hmm. So, and they didn't listen to the authorities that were telling them to do something different. They, and they did it in time. You know, they did it quickly. Um, in other words, when they were climbing up the Christmas tree to get up, you know, those people drowned immediately who stayed below. So there were dozens and dozens of people. So my point is that you can't, you can't save all those people. You have to save yourself. You have to band together with the people who already understand and, and want to uh, save themselves and ground, reground themselves and salvage something for, for us um, that that even that might that might be enough to take some of the energy out of that machine if, if the people who already understand don't just go along because there's no alternative. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. If all of us withdraw our energy from that machine and, and, and set up alternatives and show demonstrate that alternatives exist, um, and, and what that looks like, it's those people I think that we should be talking to. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's I think that's a great uh, you know aspect of what we should be doing is you know providing that alternative and showing people that there are so many benefits to living uh, autonomously and living outside of the system and you know hopefully we can reinvigorate some of those minds but at the very least we can save ourselves and uh, spell out a better future for humanity whether post collapse or if we can save it I guess we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the whole point is that I think we have to go after those people specifically. Yeah. I think there are people out there that we already know who they are. We need to go find them. And, and just, you know, individual people matter, like individual human beings as opposed to just, you know, the system teaches people to think of each other as replaceable or, or interchangeable. Right. And we're not. The people already we know are out there, those are the first people. And then... The next people are the ones that we think might be out there, but we go look for them. We don't just say, okay, here come, you know, we just, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we, yeah. We, because we're not trying to educate them. We're trying to, we're trying to include them in something that might be able to help us pull some energy out of that machine and mm-hmm. reground a, a, segment of our, a segment of us by banding together. Right. Thank you, Wes, for talking with us uh, and enlightening us about your paper. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able, uh, other people will be able to read it soon. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to say to people before uh, we, we sign off here? I think just to say that there is hope for humanity, but it's very really important for the people who want that hope to grab it, that it is, it is, their, it is your responsibility as well as all of our responsibility. And we have to band together, and um, we have to re- we have to reclaim the right the, the right to write our own future. I would call this human self determination. Mm-hmm. We have to claim that right. So for the people out there, the we includes you, mm-hmm. and we have to do it together, or it won't happen. Yeah. Nobody can be do anything on their own, other than you know try and. minimize their technological involvement, but it really doesn't do any good if it's not with other people in terms of um, anything lasting that might matter for anyone other than oneself. Yeah, we're we're a social animal. We need to embrace that. Yeah, Yeah, and our power, our power is, I mean, people banded together in in groups, in small Mm -hmm. groups. And and, and all through human history, nobody was ever, because even lions, you know, they they go in, in, I mean, dogs go in packs, right? Lions go in groups. Everybody goes in groups. Mm -hmm. Because your power is, your power is not additive. If you go with other people, your power is more than the sum of the parts together. Right, yeah. It's too big for anyone to just say, okay, I'm going to be all by myself and and, uh, try and, you know, no, it won't matter. Your Mm -hmm. ideas will go down with you because you don't have the other awesome that was perfect final message thank thank you thank you Wes for uh talking with us and joining us on the show um and uh yeah we uh hope to talk to you again soon we hope to see you in the real world soon uh and and thank you and bring these things to light and uh start doing start talking or walking the walk (laughs) yeah (laughs) 